For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to read a number of passages in connection with swearing and oath, starting with Psalm 15. Psalm 15, then we'll turn to James and then Hebrews. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. And then let's turn to James chapter 5. James 5, and we'll read here the first 12 verses. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which of you is kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, 
neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And turn back one chapter to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. And we'll read verse 10, starting at verse 10 through verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 6. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, wherein the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages that we have read and many other besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 37. Lord's Day 37, question 101, may we then swear religiously by the name of God? Yes, either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm, to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? No, for a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, and he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. 
Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day arises out of a struggle that the church went through at the time of the Reformation. Always the church is fighting a battle and the enemy is found on both sides of the truth. At the time of the great 16th century Reformation, there was a battle fought on one side against the problems that had come up in the Roman Catholic Church. And so our spiritual fathers stood for truth over against the threat on this side, the threat of legalism, the threat of works righteousness, the errors of indulgences, the abuse of power in the church, where the church gave to itself more authority than what was found in the Word of God. When we think of the 16th century Reformation, we think, first of all, of that error found on the one side. But there was, as well, a threat that came from the other side. This threat came from a group of people that agreed with the Reformers on certain points, but then who went too far with their positions. They became extremists and radicals. They were called the Anabaptists. Their name indicates a significant aspect of who they were, they believed that you had to be baptized again. They so rejected Roman Catholicism that anyone who was baptized as a Roman Catholic, but then who came out and joined the Anabaptist movement would be required to be baptized again because they did not recognize Roman Catholic baptisms as being a legitimate baptism. But another aspect of this Anabaptist movement, this threat to the truth on the other side, was that they took a stance regarding the swearing of oaths. It was their determination that it was unchristian to swear an oath. They deduced this from uh, several different passages of Scripture. The Reformers, as they heard of this position of the Anabaptists, rightly understood that the Anabaptists were going too far with that. They understood the lawful place that is, is given in the Word of God for the Christian to take the name of God with sobriety and with reverence and to call upon his holy name in swearing a vow. And so this particular Lord's Day, which more or less is an appendage to the previous Lord's Day, previous Lord's Day speaks about the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, Before we proceed to the fourth 
commandment. We spend one Lord's Day here focusing on this appendage to the third commandment, taking a stance here, not against Roman Catholicism, but against the error on the other side, the Anabaptists. Religious swearing. Let's consider this Lord's Day under that very theme, religious swearing. First, we'll see the legitimacy of swearing. Second, the manner in which we are to swear oaths. And then third, the purpose of them. Question 101 addresses the matter of legitimacy. Is it lawful to swear a religious oath? May we then swear religiously by the name of God? This is an important question. It's not something that we so oftentimes think about. We do not live our daily existence thinking about oaths and the lawfulness of oaths, unless if one is involved in the courts with a civil magistrate, and here's the oath that is sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We do not regularly think about oaths. The question is a difficult question because of texts found in the Word of God which at face value seem to indicate that the Word of God prohibits the Christian from swearing an oath. We read one of those texts which would seem to indicate that God forbids His people from swearing. James chapter 5, the 12th verse. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. James, in teaching this, is not novel but he's building off of what Jesus Christ himself taught in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 through 7 contains the Sermon on the Mount. There's a doctor or a nurse. Maybe we should have someone go to the back to tend to a child here. Matthew 5 through 7 speaks of the, is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is giving to us instruction here about life in the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 5, Verse 34, we read, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. And so it appears here that Jesus Christ is forbidding us from swearing an oath. I don't know that I can continue preaching here with uh, the concern of apparently the concern of the health of a child in the back here. Let's bow our heads and let's pray to God. Our Father and our God in heaven, we believe that thou art the king, thou art the sovereign one, thou art the giver of life, thou art the one who sustains Lord, wilt thou be with the child who is struggling? Wilt thou be with those who tend to the child? Whatever the difficulty is, whatever the concern is, wilt thou bear up as on the wings of an eagle this one? Grant, Father, health and strength, grant life. Grant care and grant protection are to God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. Let thou work in ways beyond our understanding. Let thou preserve the lives of thy little ones. Let thou give to us, Father, reliance and trust upon thee. Guard our hearts from fear. Give to us to know that thou dost keep us in thy care, and thou wilt not permit even a single hair to fall down from our heads, except thou dost give commandment. Strengthen us and keep us for Jesus' sake. Amen. So it appears here that Jesus in Matthew 5 is teaching that the swearing of an oath is forbidden. And that is well in James. So how then do we understand these passages of Scripture in, in relation to other passages which do teach that the Christian may swear an oath? We read in Psalm 15. Psalm 15, who is the one who will abide in God's tabernacle? The fourth verse, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. And then as well, there is the instruction of God's word in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. What we must understand here is that when Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 tells us that we are not to swear an oath, and James follows up on that, and James, that what Jesus Christ is teaching there is what the perfect 
citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to be like. He's giving here what has been called the constitution for the kingdom of heaven. This is what should characterize those who are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And it ought to be the case that those who are citizens in the kingdom of Jesus Christ are so righteous, so upright, so honest, that it is not necessary for them to swear an oath. But rather, let your yea be yea, and let your nay be nay. Let every word that comes forth from the mouth of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven be so trustworthy that it's not necessary later on to swear an oath about it. And so the necessity of us swearing an oath arises out of the fact that we are sinners. It is because every word that comes forth from our mouth is not always honest. It is because by nature we are liars. It is because we are children of the wicked one, the devil who is a liar and the father of all lies. That, we, that, it's, that becomes necessary then to swear an oath for the confirmation of truth. It's because our words are not always dependable. It is because by nature we are self-seeking and are more concerned about our honor, our reputation, our name, than we are concerned about truth and fidelity. That at times it becomes necessary for us to swear an oath. Oaths are sworn then, not regarding things certain, but regarding things uncertain. It is because there is a lack of clarity or a lack of understanding about a particular matter that it is necessary to swear an oath. At times, the swearing of an oath is necessary with regard to the establishment of that which happened in the past. There can be a struggle to understand what truly happened in the courtroom. This is the case. If somebody is charged with a particular crime and he is brought then before the judge then it's, it's the duty of the judge in that courtroom to try to elicit truth, what, what actually happened here at the crime scene. But there can be differences of opinions or differences of understandings about what happened there at the crime scene. And so with the goal of drawing out truth, the civil magistrate is given by God the authority to demand of the citizens of that nation that they swear an oath to tell the truth. The same can happen in a consistory room. There can be uncertainty about what happened. Even uncertainty about what happened in 
a marriage where the husband says one thing and gives one testimony and the wife says a different thing and gives a different testimony. Well, then who do you believe? And how do you determine what truth is? And so in those circumstances, an oath, swearing of an oath can be used. It should be infrequently that it is used. And yet to establish what happened in the past, it can be used. But then the other application in which oaths are used in the church is not with regard to things past, but with regard to things future. We use an oath to swear, to to promise what we will or will not do. We swear an oath when we join the church. When When we make confession of faith in the church, then we are swearing an oath that we will submit to the government of the church and that we will arrange our lives according to the instruction of God's holy law. When a young man and a young woman come together in marriage, they're swearing an oath that they will remain faithful one to another until death parts them. When parents present a child for baptism, they are in that act of baptism swearing that they will raise and instruct this child up in the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. And then when one take special office in the church. When one is called into the office of minister, elder, or deacon, then in that situation as well, one swears an oath. Now, why is it that in those situations we swear an oath? Well, recall that we make oaths with regard to things that are uncertain. It is because we recognize that there are particular trials that come with those oaths and those positions that one occupies. And so because of the trials that come with occupying those positions, it's necessary then that we swear an oath that I will be faithful in this. As a church member, how hard the devil works against church members to have them not be faithful in partaking of the means of grace, to have them not be faithful in living a genuine, upright Christian life. And so understanding the difficulties that come with living as a confessing member of the church, we require that one swear an oath to become a church member. Or with regard to marriage, how hard does not the devil work on marriages, attacking marriages from every different angle? And so understanding then the difficulty of living in purity and holiness in marriage, we swear an oath that we will be faithful to our spouse until death do us part. May God use 
the reflection, our own personal reflection upon the oaths which we have sworn as a means by which we are strengthened unto fidelity in living out, carrying out these oaths which we have sworn. That's the legitimacy of swearing an oath. It's because by nature we're sinful and we don't keep our word. But then we call upon the name of our God. So let us consider then the manner in which we make these oaths Question 102. Answer 102 teaches us what a lawful oath is. A lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart. We do not swear upon the name of any other creature. We do not swear upon Peter's name. Mary's name, John's name. That level of honor is not due unto any creature. But we call upon the name of Jehovah God. We swear upon his name because his name is great. Hebrews 6, verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In swearing an oath, we do not call upon the name of someone who is inferior to us, someone who is below us. Parents would not swear upon the names of their children, calling their children to bear witness to the truth. But we call upon the name of someone who is above us to bear witness to the truth. God, because he is the transcendent God and there is no one above him, calls upon his own name when he swears an oath. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. We note here an important distinction. And when God swears an oath, he does not do so because his word is not dependable. But God swears oaths in order to give unto us, his people, yet another assurance of the dependability and trustworthiness of his word. Hebrews 6, verse 18 that by two immutable, or rather 17, Hebrews 6, 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay upon the hope set before us. So why is it then that when we swear an oath, we call upon God's name? 
Catechism lists out three reasons why we call on his name. First of all, we call upon his name because he is, answer 102, the only one who knows the heart. And here God stands in contrast to the creature. For who of us can know the heart of another individual? We can make conclusions about the heart of another individual only based on what we're able to see and hear with our physical eyes and with our physical ears. It's only based on the actions of others, whether they are holy and righteous and upright, or whether they are liars, thieves, whether they are honorable and pure, or whether they fall into sins against the seventh commandment, the sixth commandment even as well, that from those outward behaviors then we make conclusions about man's heart. But whereas we may only observe the outward actions, God is able to know the heart. There's nothing hid from his view. And so we call upon God as the God who knows man's heart. And then secondly, we call upon God because God is the one who bears witness to the truth. And here again, God in holiness stands in distinction from fallen man, for man does not always bear witness to the truth. There are times where man, by reason of pride, man being concerned about his reputation, or the reputation of a loved one, or the reputation of an institution, lies and does not bear witness to the truth. There are times where a man knows that he is guilty of committing an offense, but for fear of the consequences or the shame that would come upon him for admitting those sins, hides the truth. And so it is appropriate and necessary that in pursuit of truth we as we swear an oath, call upon the name of our holy God, who not only knows the truth, but who also bears witness to the truth. And then, third, why do we call upon God's holy name? The Catechism teaches us as well, we call upon his name to punish me if I swear falsely. That's the seriousness here of calling upon God's name in an oath. God is willing and God is capable of punishing the one who swears falsely. God will not be mocked. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord in Romans chapter 12. It could be that one appears to get away without consequence for lying under oath. 
It could be that one lives, apparently, a satisfied and content life, even though they have sworn under oath. It could appear that there are no consequences to that individual. It could appear that that individual has gotten away with telling a lie, committing perjury, but God will not be mocked. And God punishes that individual already in this lifetime, but especially in the lifetime to come for, swear, for, for lying unto Jehovah God. That's why we call upon the name of our Lord. we know this, then this governs the way in which we do swear an oath. Knowing that God bears witness to the truth and knowing that God will punish the truth if we swear falsely, this guards us against swearing an oath flippantly or irreverently. Knowing that we are calling upon the name of Jehovah God means that always when we swear an oath, we must do so with understanding. Never must we swear an oath about something or give our allegiance unto something or someone or sign our name to a document if we do not know what it is that we are giving our allegiance unto. But if we are calling upon the name of God to punish us, if we swear falsely by this oath, then we do well to make certain that we know to the best of our ability what it is that we are swearing this oath about. That is why we have the practice of teaching our children, our catechism children, the truths and the doctrines that are contained in the Holy Scriptures before they swear that oath by which they become a member in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we continue to maintain that in our churches, that our youth be catechized before making confession of faith. The trend more and more in the church world is to have children at a younger and a younger age make that public confession of faith in the church. And although the zeal for the Word of God is commendable and the desire to become a member in that church is praiseworthy, yet the question remains, do the young people understand what oath they are swearing? When they stand before the holy assembly of the people of God, does the one seeking to confess his faith know the implications of this confession? Does he understand the seriousness of not abiding by this oath? And so it is good that the practice continue of teaching our youth before they swear an oath publicly, becoming a confessing member in the church. Knowing that we are calling upon the name of our holy God in swearing an oath means certainly 
that we must never swear an oath that would require us to contradict the Word of God. What a double standard that would be. On the one hand, to call upon the name of God is your witness and to punish you if you swear falsely, but then on the other hand, by that oath to be bound to commit a sin. That's why union membership in so many instances is impossible for the conscientious Christian. For it requires that the Christian give his allegiance, not first of all to God and to his kingdom, but first of all to an earthly organization. If if swearing an oath requires immoral actions, if swearing an oath requires Sabbath day desecration, if it requires rebelling against those who are in authority, then such oaths ought not to be made by the Christian. then knowing that we are calling upon the name of our God means that we must never make an oath casually or flippantly. And now we speak especially to the young people and the children. Making a pinky promise to do this or to do that. Or perhaps we make a mistake and we feel bad about it, and then we respond by saying, I swear that I will never do this or that again. We must recall that to swear an oath is to call upon the name of our God and to ask Him to punish us if we swear falsely. Let us not profane his name by making common what is uncommon. The purpose of the oath, according to the Catechism, is to confirm fidelity and truth for the safety of the neighbor. God uses the oath to disclose, to reveal truth. Sometimes it can be very difficult for us to speak truth. Especially if God calls us to speak the truth, and that involves revealing sins that we committed or sins that others have committed against us. In the consistory room, in the courtroom, under oath, revealing what we did or what others did unto us. It could be that there will be consequences for speaking the truth. It could be that one has to to disclose vile, even gross sins that were committed. 
could be the hardest thing that the Christian is called upon to do. To speak the truth on your oath. But God is pleased to use it for the safety of our neighbor. God uses it to reveal what was done in darkness. God uses it as judgment to establish truth. The thought of swearing such an oath might scare us or frighten us to the point where we think, I could never do it. If this is the seriousness of swearing an oath, I'm calling upon the name of God to punish me if I swear falsely. Christian might think I could never, ever do that. So then we need to be encouraged and reminded that the swearing of an oath is not ultimately about us, but ultimately it is for the glory of our God. It is because we live to the glory of Jehovah's name who has justice for his cornerstone, It is because Jehovah God executes judgment for the oppressed, because he judges uprightly and he is no respecter of persons. It is because Jehovah God renders unto every man according unto his works. That if God should require it of us, the Christian is given strength for the glory of God's Name to swear an oath with holiness and with reverence. God is glorified in the fulfillment of his own oath. For our God has sworn an oath. He made a promise unto Abraham. He swore by his own name, for there is no name greater than his name. His promise unto Abraham was this, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. God promised that he would make of Abraham a great nation. God promised that he would give unto Abraham that land of rest. God promised unto Abraham that he would never be cast out from that promised land of uh, promised inheritance of the heavenly land of Canaan and God swore this oath to his own hurt it cost God his own son Jesus Christ to keep this oath that he had swore he blessed his people and multiplied his people through the incarnation, the suffering, and the descent into hell of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. God would not and God did not break his own vow, but he kept his word for the salvation of his people 
and for the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we are glad that with thee it is impossible to lie. Thou art the God of truth. We flee to thee for refuge, and we cling to the hope of thy promise as the anchor of our souls. Wilt thou bless and keep us? Wilt thou strengthen us with might? For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.